It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talking Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. Hey, welcome back to the Agriculture Conversation on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. I'm Lane Nordland. Thanks for joining us. Today, I am going to be joined by one of my good friends, Caitlin Dennison Larson. She is a farmer rancher out of Sydney, Montana. We're going to catch up with her while we're experiencing some very cold weather here during the middle of February, see how things are at their feedlot, and talk about her role as a woman in agriculture, a leader in agriculture, and also so many of the growing pains that come with being a young producer getting a start in the industry. It's going to be a great conversation. We're going to have more right after this. Your National Cattlemen's Beef Association knows when it comes to the issues in Washington, there's simply no room for gray area. Trade, fake meat, the cost and impact of the Green New Deal. The decisions being made today affect the livelihood of your fellow farmers and ranchers. And what matters to cattlemen matters to us. It's as clear as black and white. Visit joinncba.org to learn more. Welcome back to the Agriculture Conversation here on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. As promised, we are turning our attention and conversation out to eastern Montana, to the Sydney area. And joining us is cattle producer Caitlin Dennison Larson. Uh, Caitlin, uh, I'm, I'm looking online right now. I was trying to look up what the temperature was, and it says it's only 10 below, but I'm not buying that. I, I think it's probably a little colder than that right now with the wind chill. Yeah, it's a cold day today. We were supposed to have a high of negative 12 today, so who knows how actually warm it's supposed to be. Uh, wind chill this morning was a brisk 40 below, so that was a little yeah. brutal, but uh, we've had worse. Yeah, that's. but the, the chores got done, though, didn't they, bright and early? They did. We're waiting on a tank to thaw right now, but that's that's minor. I, I'm actually, I, when I Googled what the temperature was in Sydney, kind of the map of eastern Montana, western North Dakota pops up, and an image of a horse, like a, a gray horse, a bay horse, and a zebra jumps up on on my search screen. And it is Sydney. I can see Sydney Sugar in the background. Do you know who owns a zebra around Sydney? Uh, yeah, it would be Weefridges. They run oh. Brookman Rodeo. Oh, so. yeah. Dave, right? Dave Weefridge? Yep. Yeah. Yep, Dave and Kathy. <laughs> I just, I, I was just laughing because I'm like, I searched weather, Sydney, Montana, and a zebra and a big old gray horse pops up. And I'm like, was not expecting that. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe some sugar beets, maybe some corn, some cattle. Uh, but no, a zebra popped up on there. And so go on Google, folks, and just Google Sydney, Montana or Sydney weather and a zebra will pop up. That's that's like the time my, uh, a wallaby escaped around Dotson and uh, it caused a bunch of wrecks because people are like there's like a kangaroo or something going down the highway and it, it was like an escaped wallaby from an exotic farm not what you expect <laughs> to see going along highway two uh but uh definitely not what you expect in montana no but uh see that's how fast i got into the sagebrush uh, at the start of our conversation but uh 
Uh, Caitlin, for our listeners tuning into the podcast today, uh, uh, you, you and I have known each other for quite some time. We, we went to college at Montana State University together, probably had a few soda pops back in the day. Um, but uh, for, for our audience out there, can, can you just maybe tell a little bit about yourself? You know, you are you're a daughter of a producer in eastern Montana, and you have all sisters. And you are a part of the family operation. And, and that's what I really want to share today is really highlight women in agriculture uh, in, in upcoming podcasts. But uh, just want to talk about yourself growing up in ag and, and what got you, uh, what, what really motivated you to be a part of the family operation and go back home. Sure. Yeah, I am the fifth generation denizen to farm and ranch in eastern Montana. Um, I currently farm with my family, my mom, my dad, and my younger sister on our fourth generation farm. Uh, we run a commercial cow-calf operation. We have a backgrounding feedlot, uh, custom one, where we feed for other people. Um, and then we also farm both irrigated acres in the valley, and we have our dry land acres. Uh, we raise a lot of corn, hay, small grains, things like that. Um, I am married to a local farmer. Uh, we are expecting our first child this spring, so it's very exciting for both sides of our family. Um, he farms about 30 miles from here, from where I live, um, with his dad and brother. So farming is definitely going to be in our future child's blood. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I went to school at Montana State. As you said, I studied egg business. And I pursued a couple of different career options before I made the decision to come home. And I just didn't see myself sitting behind this. I didn't see myself living somewhere more urban than this. So I made the decision to come home. And we've been kind of growing our operation to adjust to both my sister and I being home full time. Um, and her and I primarily run the day-to-day -day operations of our feedlot. So we keep plenty busy. <laughs> And uh, all this cold weather uh, doesn't make it uh, any more fun. And and, and Caitlin, uh, and for our listeners again, I, I've known Caitlin for quite some time, but uh, I really enjoy uh, Caitlin's Twitter feed and just staying uh, in the loop on, on just uh, your humor <laughs> that comes along with your tweets and the challenges. But um, being a woman in agriculture and being a part of your family's operation, doing that full-time, running this feedlot, you know, what are some of the challenges that, that you face as a producer, just not as a woman? I, I, I want to, you know, focus this. You are a producer, but... Mm -hmm. I, I just, I, I giggled the other day when you were uh, trying to work on a, on a water tank and, and, and of course you're pregnant and, and you made a joke about being pregnant and trying to fit into the water tanks. So I just appreciate your humor about all this, but what are some of those challenges you face as, as a producer, as a woman, a young woman in the industry, a, a, as a wife, what, what are some of those things that just maybe, uh, you want to, you know, really just fight through and just say, Hey, I'm a farmer, but yes, I'm a woman. What, what are some of those things that really bug you? Well, yeah, the other day I got stuck crawling through feeder panel to go check a tank. And that was, that was an interesting experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the hardest part I struggle with, and I think this is maybe just the season I have in my life is our work-life balance. When you're a farmer and rancher, your life revolves around what we do. And trying to find 
that time to be at home, to spend time. I'm my house spouse and I do, we don't work together. Um, we work on two separate operations. So finding time for each other, um, finding time to prepare to have a baby, um, and, but still being active on the farm and ranch, getting all of our work done. Um, as you know, I'm very active across the state as well in leadership roles, making time for all of that. Just trying to get everything fit into a schedule is probably the biggest struggle I have currently, um, which I know so many producers deal with that as well. It's definitely not something that's unique in our industry because everything takes so much time. And um, it's... It's been a learning curve the past few years. I'll put it that way. And so you mentioned a schedule. Do you, do you actually have a, a, a an actual schedule on your phone or a paper one? That, and of course, chores of uh, that just falls into it. I I, I don't. And people are probably rolling their eyes. Oh, you don't need a schedule for doing chores. But you know, when when you're looking at you know trying to 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 keep an operation rolling, running, the finances, making sure that you know when the stock grower's phone call is going to be, or or the in person meeting in. Uh, uh, over in Helena, what what are some of those management tools that uh, you implement to, to just try to keep your head on straight and, and keep going forward each day? Oh, my gosh. As cliche as this sounds, it's my cell phone. Um, it's how I stay connected to everything. I mean, I get my email on my phone. I check my calendar, everything, um, almost as if I were at an office. I mean, I do. I keep track of all of that as well. Um yeah, I would be lost. I don't I don't carry around a paper planner just because of it's a lot easier to fit a cell phone in my pocket than it is a an actual planner. But yeah, if I didn't have my phone and um the accessibility of everything, I would be lost. And so that's also a struggle because we don't have a lot of great internet connections out here rurally. But I mean things are getting better. <laughs> you know, one of your tweets that I, I really it uh, a lot of people probably are, are challenged with, and as you mentioned, your husband is a part of his family's operation, and you're a part of yours. And and you ask the question: Have folks figured out how to switch CPAs or how to combine CPAs? <laughs> uh, that's a real challenge. Um, can, can you maybe talk about that aspect of uh, every every family has their own CPA or accounting firm and just that, that comfort zone of thinking, gosh darn, we might have to make a change on that. Right. That was what I joked is that was going to be our first marital argument over which CPA we moved to, um, which in last year we got lazy and we've been married now for almost two years this spring. And so we got lazy and filed separately last year solely because we didn't want, neither of us wanted to change. Um, but with, with having a child coming, we decided we probably should get on the ball and change things over. Um, and so, yeah, we're, it's a struggle, especially because he does a lot of his finances and he farms with his brother. And I have a lot of shared ownership with my sister. Um, and that's just how things started when we both have come, came back from college. Uh, that's how we got our starts with our cow herds, with our equipment we own and things like that. Um, and it just makes things a little more challenging. But thankfully, we both have great accountants here in town. And so the transition should be pretty smooth. So so who won? Who, who, who's uh, CPA to get to stick with? I think we're going with his 
which is against my judgment because I love my accountant. <laughs> you, you'll give him the I'll, win on that, I'll, I guess. I'll give him this one. <laughs> And uh, again, uh, congratulations uh, on uh, your your child coming here in, in this spring. That that's so exciting uh, for you and Russell. And, and with that, what what is your plan? Obviously, you're an integral part of the day to day operations uh, on the at the feedlot, uh, especially coming up this spring with planning and and everything else that's coming. Uh, what is uh, the the game plan uh, for for yourself, uh, for your sister, for your dad, and, and trying to fill your role with that uh, when you take a a little time off for, for you and the baby. Well, that's, he is coming right in the middle of seeding and I'm usually the one uh, that runs the drill. So I seed all of our dry land, wheat, barley, small grain stuff. Um, and my dad and sister are usually pretty preoccupied in the Valley with putting the corn in the ground. So it's going to be interesting. Um, my husband is going to start coming and helping us a little more regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, filling in those shoes and otherwise this kid is just gonna be drug along everywhere (laughs) it's really gonna be in that uh buddy seat from 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 day one um but uh, (laughs) you you know and and with that you're also the chair of the montana stock growers uh young stock growers uh group um how important is it for you to, to, to be active? You know, you mentioned just uh, a, a family business, it keeps you busy. And livestock and weather, just you stay busy. Why, why is it important for you to stay active on the advocacy level, especially with your role with the Montana Stock Growers and also the Mondak Stock Growers over there in eastern Montana, western uh, Dakotas? Right. Yeah. So I serve as the chair. As you said, I've served as a chair. This is my second year. And before that, I served for two years as vice chair. And then I've also served as president of Mondak Stock Growers. Oh, gosh, I think I believe this is my third year. Um, And then I have served on the board for that for several years, too, prior to that. But I think it is just so important for myself personally to have that outfit. I enjoy going to meetings. I enjoy policy. I enjoy advocating for our industry on more of a federation level as far as like with the Beef Council and working with them and things like that. And it's an outlet for me. Uh, It gives me a chance to put on a suit jacket and go meet other people and network with industry leaders and give my opinion on what young people in the beef industry need and what we can do to make it better for them. Uh, I've really enjoyed my time. I'm a little sad that this is my last year um, serving in that position with Montana Star Growers. I've really enjoyed my time on the board and I've learned a lot. And I just feel like so many people need to get involved because they have no idea what these organizations truly do for members until they actually get involved and it's been eye-opening for me for the past four years it's been a really great experience you you know and you say folks maybe they can't wrap their 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 minds around you know all the policy all all the inner workings of of these uh, organizations on the state and national level and as i mentioned as you mentioned uh you spend uh, a lot of time on twitter uh you you have some great tweets you you ask great questions but 
when we look at social media and really the discord that has occurred over the past few months and years when it comes to information that's shared on all these social media platforms that, uh, um, and I'm in ag media and I see people's tweets or sharing stories and I'm like, that isn't, that's not real. And this is ag news. Um, with, with, with ag Twitter, and your involvement on there, what are some of the frustrations you see with that uh, and being active within the beef community in a leadership role? I guess, what what are some ways that you try to advocate, but also maybe shake your head a little bit when you're, you're on Twitter and see agriculture posts? Unfortunately, people in agriculture are really prone to being stuck in their mindset and stuck in their ways, uh, which can be both good and bad. Uh, but I feel like a lot of bias really comes out uh, as people disagree with certain egg organizations, for example, um, and they get almost a tunnel vision. And because an organization is not doing exactly what they think they should on one small issue, they are opposed to them adamantly and won't listen to any other source of reasoning or do any further research. And research being a loose term, as you know, a lot of people's version of research is not all that scientific and they do not delve any deeper than maybe someone's passionate blog post. Um, And so that's, I think, where I find my frustration is that people don't actually care to dig in the weeds and figure out what's going on. They just look at things from a surface level and make their opinions. And then once they've made those opinions, they're stuck with them and they will not change. So when, when you are actually looking for just news in general, it doesn't have to be agriculture. What are some of the, the uh, sources that you look for? What kind of programming, who are you, you know, where do you get your information? Um, you know, aside from what is put out by an association like the Montana Stock Growers, where where do you turn to then as a young millennial um, on the operation trying to find the best resources uh, for news? Honestly, it's kind of a mix of all over. I mean, I'm inundated with emails constantly, you know, about different things. I read a lot there. I read a lot on social media from all platforms because um, there are so many people out there that are much more knowledgeable than I am especially in different areas. And you and I were talking earlier, radio. I listen to radio all day long. And so I'm getting my markets on the radio. I am listening to your guys' programs on the radio. I'm an RFD TV watcher in the morning before I go out to do chores. So I really get information from everywhere. Mm-hmm. I kind of am one of those that I'm young, so I am on social media a lot, but I haven't old heart and I still read a lot of papers. I still read, watch TV, you know, things like that. So I kind of get it everywhere. And, you know, I'm kind of jumping all the way around here, but, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, being on the, the Montana Young Stock Growers uh, uh, vice chair and now chair and you're in your last year. What, um, how many women are involved in, in agriculture groups, um, in leadership capacity, in your opinion, uh, in, in a room full of men, what would the, what would the ratio be right now? One to 10. Yep. And that's probably being generous. If, if you exclude women's centered groups, you know, such as Montana cattle women, what have you, um, currently 
for our board meetings, there are three women who sit on the board. One is the president of the Montana Cattlewomen, uh, myself as the chair of the Montana Starkers or Young Starkers. And then we recently elected our first uh, female second vice president for the Montana Starkers Association. Um, and I believe all around on especially more statewide boards, I feel like local organizations are definitely a little more women centered um, solely because they are the ones at home. Um, but when you get to things like as far as Farm Bureau, Farmers Union, those type of boards, there are not a lot of women involved. It is a lot of men, um, which is disappointing. But I see things are changing slowly, but surely they're changing. Well, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, Leslie Robinson is the second vice president that was just elected to the Montana Stock Growers Board, and uh, uh, she was, I believe, the second woman to ever serve as a as an officer or, or just on the board in general uh, for stock growers, second second or third. Um, but because I, I I've known Leslie my whole life and uh, mm-hmm. did a great in, uh, she did a great interview uh, with us uh, for TV right after she was elected on the executive officer team and she will uh, bar anything she uh, you know anything comes up but she is uh, in line to become the first uh, woman president of the Montana Stockers Association you, you know you look at involvement uh, in FFA and 4H and just uh, how the the leadership is pretty equal across the board in terms of uh, 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 men and women that step up to to be leaders in these organizations that you and I were both in growing up. Do you think that is going to change as we, as more of my gray hairs start to pop up and and we start to have families? Um, How important is it for uh, young women and young men to step up into these roles maybe earlier than they than has been done or traditionally by these producers into these leadership roles and especially for women. Well, yes, I agree. So, I mean, one of the other women that served on the Montana Starkers board was Kristen Larson, and she is from my area. Mm-hmm. and And I was in college when both of them were on the board, and so I looked up to them and thought, "Hey, if they can do it, so can I someday." And I think more as more of our generation moves up into these leadership positions, the more women will spill into into these roles. Um, and I just think it's so important for people our age. I hate to coin the term, but us millennials, uh, <laughs> <laughs> even though that's not as dirty of a word as it used to be. Um, well, old, older generations still call like the junior high and high school the, kids the millennials. <laughs> no, I, 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 there's people that still call like these high school kids millennials. I'm like, no, we've been out of school for a long time. But yeah, I, our generation is what? The bottom age is like 25 <laughs> something now. Oh, God. Um, Babies. <laughs> Right. (laughs) I think it's so important for us to step up into these roles because things are changing so much. They're changing faster. Everything as far as technology, as far as how consumer preferences are changing, things like that. And if I feel like our generation doesn't start stepping up and being on top of it, we're all going to fall behind. And it's it's just so important for these organizations to stay current and the staff on a lot of these organizations are younger and to be relevant with staff, it helps, you know, if the people involved are 
in that age group. And most of the target audience for things are within our age group. And we're the ones stepping up and becoming business owners and things like that. And it's, it's a lot easier um, said than done. But I think a lot of people really need to start evaluating some priorities and finding something they're passionate about and jumping in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, jumping in, whether that is in being a leadership role or being a part of um, expanding the family operation or going out on your own. Um, what was your involvement, uh, say, in the discussions with your folks when it came to the succession uh, or buying into the to the Denison operation? Um, did, did you work with FSA to do young farmer rancher loans? Did you just, you know, how, how are you buying shares into it? And you don't have to share anything if you don't want to. But the, so many young people are, are going into these situations not really grasping the importance of talking with your lender or with farm service agency and looking at all these tools. Could you, if you're comfortable, could you share kind of the experience that you've gone through and becoming a partner and and an owner in, in these entities? Yeah, sure. So luckily um, my grandpa, before he passed away, um, they really worked hard on estate planning. We have a really great lawyer. We have a really great accountant that work with us through every step and making sure that his estate is laid out um, for transition purposes. Uh, when my sister and I both came back, we knew we wanted to do this full time. And um, so we started out our own herd um, and we bought, got a loan through our bank, but the ranch backed us. Mm-hmm. So traditionally we would not have had collateral um, to back ourselves being young. And so that was one real big advantage was the ranch backed us. Um, so we kind of have a few things like that have went on. Um, and as we've been here longer, um, we've just increased our shareholder percentage. Um, so when my grandpa passed away, we acquired some of his shares and so on and so forth. And it's, um, no, no system is perfect and it is incredibly stressful and it leads, it can lead to a lot of really tough discussions, but it is so important. Um, my grandpa did not pass suddenly by any means, but it also wasn't incredibly expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, we're very fortunate we had planned and we had taken the time to figure things out. Um, and, you know, my parents are not getting any younger and we have plans in place for what's going to happen when they t- are, you know, are no longer with us. And we've already started discussing what it will be like for our future children mm-hmm. operation, if they choose to be here. Yep. Uh, that's, I think the hardest part is not a lot can be done until you really truly know who wants to come back and who wants to make that commitment. And then it just takes some really tough discussions and setting priorities and um, making those hard choices on what to do, what to expand, what to cut back, what changes to be made, what what each generation's goals are, um, et cetera. So. Well, and so it's, it's a difficult conversation. It's a hard conversation to have. But it's also so hard to sometimes separate emotion from business and feelings from business. Um, 
Well, I guess what are some ways, uh, obviously, the great relationship with your lawyer and your accountants, um, what are some, how, how does your family, do, do you have board meetings? Do you have quarterly or yearly meetings where, you know, when you come to the table and, and with issues or things that you want to fix, h- how does that work? And how do you try to separate uh, an emotion from an actual business uh, plan? So, especially when you're talking about a fourth or fifth generation operation, emotions certainly come into play. Um, it's very hard to keep those out of it. But I think one of the things we found success in is meeting with a lawyer and an accountant and having these professionals in our corner that know what our goals are and are able to help us stay. Oh, Caitlin, I lost you there, that, that broadband out, out in eastern Montana. <laughs> I'll, I'll, Can you hear me now? Yeah. Could you just pick up from, from the start of that uh, uh, answer, please? Sure. Yeah. So being fourth, fifth generation operation, you know, emotions definitely come into play. And it is really hard to avoid not having an emotional response to a lot of these business decisions. And I think the biggest part that's helped us is having those professionals in our corner, you know, the lawyer and the accountant who know what our goals and what our priorities are. And they keep us in line with those goals and our priorities. Um, And whether that's, we meet with them honestly quite often. uh, And it doesn't necessarily be face-to-face because our, our lawyer is not local. Our lawyer has to be from Billings because there isn't anyone here locally that does this type of thing. Um, but I mean, phone conversations, email, you know, constantly in contact with them. And then we as a family have sat down several times to discuss what we would like to be doing, where we see ourselves in five years, um, where we see ourselves in another 20 years, you know, things like that. Um, as far as we need to be better about local personal little meetings um we are our board (laughs) we are all members all of us here working are on the board so technically every day at lunch is almost a board meeting (laughs) (laughs) but we try to really discuss you know what are some equipment purchases we need to be making within the next year what are some upgrades we need to be doing um what are some facility things that need to change you know we have a when when does someone want to take a vacation um because contrary to popular belief for farmers and ranchers you appreciate vacations and we need and so we try to make sure that everyone has time you know they what they need done and but we're all still working towards the common goal of making our ranch last for another several generations. And with that, every generation has to bring something to the table in in terms of, you know, enhancing the profitability of the operation and looking at things in a regenerative different way. Uh, What, uh, I guess, what are your ideas? What, uh, and what that maybe you would like to implement some that have been implemented? Um, you know, I know a lot of folks are doing branded beef products. Other people are, you know, feed more cattle. Well, you guys already have, feed your cattle what i guess what uh, what are some of those strategic plans that you uh have done or would like to be put into place to help the operation out uh so believe it or not 
uh, before I moved home, we did not precision plant at all. And which I'm not even sure what you can't, if you can count what we do as full precision plant compared <laughs> to what they do over in the Midwest. Uh, but just things like that have improved tremendously. Um, we used to do all of our feed records on a piece of paper. And now that my sister and I are in charge, you know, we do things on an iPad. Mm-hmm. Uh, just little things like that. I think a lot of what I've brought to the table is data management. And I think that comes from my egg business degree from MSU. And I think my sister and I spring a little bit different. We research things more. Um, we delve into things a little bit deeper than I think maybe past generations. As far as what purchases we're going to be making, you know, like just making sure, you know, things pencil out as far as what different type of loan options we need to go with, um, things like that. And I think both my sister and I have brought this a sense of, okay, well, is this actually necessary or is this just a, a want or is it a need mm-hmm. type thing? Um, we have really pushed our genetics back in LV. And as you could tell, the signal on Caitlin's end got a little more iffy right there, so we took a second to regroup, and she moved just an inch and got back that signal. We'll jump back into that conversation. So as far as, like, with both, we would all really like to start more of, like, a branded beef program, but that's just incredibly difficult with our current, or I guess branded beef, more of, like, a free drink. Um, but that's just really difficult right now with the current impact on our beef processors across the state so hopefully someday down the road that's something i would like to look into mm-hmm. but we'll see how that pans out now and uh, again we're having some uh, uh broadband issues which that's we all face that but did, did you mention on that caitlin that uh that you're looking more at gelvy genetics or, or or was that just the interference in the line nope we we used to be seeds.gelvy producers and then we got out of it, and um, now with Alexis and I's persuasion coming back home, we've really been putting those Gelby genetics back into our herd, uh, going a little further to, you know, fine bowls such as that, but we both really love Gelby cattle, so we're bringing that back. Well, cool. Well, it's always nice to have your own touch and, and be able to do that uh, when you come home and, and have a little control over those decisions. But, and I don't know if this is the case for yourself, but for so many women that are involved in the day-to-day operations of a farm or ranch, they find it challenging when dealing with uh, different sectors of the industry, predominantly older men in the industry being respected for their work and their knowledge. Uh, how do you deal with that? How do you advocate for uh, other women in agriculture and all people in agriculture? And how do you make sure and build up a foundation under yourself and other uh, other women to support them and to really, like I said, support everyone involved in agriculture of all backgrounds? For the most part, we're very lucky here locally. I mean, a lot of the places we've done business with have known my sister and I since we were little kids taking along with our dad, you know, into the store. And like our John Deere mechanics are awesome to us and they know that we know what we're talking about. Our feed salesman knows we know what we're talking about, things like that. But I know once we step outside of our little realm, we're instantly 
looked at as, well, where's your husband? Mm-hmm. Where's your father? You know, are you actually the ones that are able to make this decision? Um, and it's a struggle, but we've gotten pretty tough skin because of it. And I've just gotten to the point where I have made myself realize I deserve a seat at the table just as much as anyone else. And while I may be smaller, I might not be as strong as the rest of the men in the field. I can do just as good of a job as they can. And I hope other girls feel the same way. Young girls growing up in this are not limiting themselves because they're a woman. Because women in egg are doing pretty great things. And I think they always have done really great things. They just maybe haven't gotten the spotlight as we are getting now because we have, we're sharing our stories more. We're more vocal. We're sitting on more boards. um, Whereas our predecessors weren't, but they still did amazing work and did amazing things and worked just as hard as their husbands or their brothers or what have you. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for for sharing your experience and your perspective on that. I I, I know so many people appreciate that. Um, uh, Another kind of, uh, related to ag, but not really related to ag. Obviously, you were in the heart of Bakken country uh, during uh, the, the the oil boom uh, that occurred really when, when you and I would have been in, in high school <laughs> and, uh, and through our college years as well. But obviously, we've seen a pullback in drilling uh, up in that region as well. And uh, we're also going to see a pullback in, in eastern Montana uh, currently with the halting of the Keystone XL pipeline. How do, does or did, hopefully it's does, um, natural resources <laughs> development and agriculture go hand in hand in, in your uh, rural uh, community? Well, I mean, there are so many people here that have a job in oil. Both of my brother-in-laws work in oil and gas, um, in which my one brother-in-law is part-time. But a lot of farmers and ranches around here were able to supplement their income by either working in oil and gas or obviously through um, royalties um, with through mineral rights and such too. But our whole community really benefits from oil and gas because next to agriculture, they're our biggest commodity in our area. So as far as fundraising or 4-H livestock sales, majority of that money came from oil and gas companies throughout the past probably 10, 15 years. And now we're really seeing that drop off and it's hurting. Uh, It's hurting our local businesses, you know, our hardware store, our everything that we have here that we're able to have here uh, are hurting because of that drop in revenue. And you and I both know egg has not been that cherry the past few years um, either. And so it's, it hurts. It hurts everyone. It doesn't just hurt those that work in oil and gas or, you know, um, receive that monthly check from oil and gas revenue. It's it hurts everyone. It hurts the whole community. And, and when you look at maybe somebody's argument that would say, well, these people can can find other jobs or we need to go towards alternative energies. And, and I'm an advocate. We need to look at every source out there when it comes to energy, whether that's, you know, solar panel, uh, wind when, when, when acceptable. And of course, we, you know, we, we need oil and gas at, at this point. 
But what is what, what's your argument to these people that say that they can go find other jobs? How 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 do you just pull jobs out of the air in eastern Montana? That's exactly it. Here in eastern Montana, there's not much for work outside of agriculture, oil and gas. Um, we don't rely on tourism over here for any sort of additional income. Uh, we don't have any other industries. And without these jobs, a lot of supplementary jobs disappear. Um, there's not going to be as many stores. We can't have, you know, I mean, there's just, there's so many jobs that support oil and gas around here. And without oil and gas, those jobs also go away. I mean, we well, we wouldn't have as many kids in our school. We wouldn't have as many teachers. Uh, we wouldn't have, there's so many things. It's such a snowball effect, I guess. And I maybe I see it more because I watched the rise of our boom too and saw the few things that come in. Um, but there's so many people, they would have to leave our area. And it would make me very sad because there's a lot of people my age that were able to come back home and find good jobs and start raising their families here. And they wouldn't have had that opportunity without oil and gas. Now, in your opinion, if broadband access, you know, that's an issue we're, we're, we're all faced with. And, and you know, just, just uh, uh, having that uh, good service, whether it be internet, Wi-Fi, uh, fiber optic, you know, a lot of people will say, well, well having better broadband is going to bring more, more families back and more jobs for people working from home. Do you think that's actually reality um, in the short term in eastern Montana? I know a lot of folks are working from home. My wife and I haven't left the house since the pandemic. We're not, I'm not allowed in the TV studio. She's not allowed in, <laughs> in her own, you know, um, offices as a water uh, um, judge. What, uh, <laughs> what, uh, what's your opinion on that, especially? in eastern montana is that is that something that could be a reality having broadband providing more jobs from eastern montana do you think people would move back with that or would they stay in 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 the bigger towns in north north dakota or, or, or or montana you know i would love to say that i think people would move back um it, just look at how much our lives in general have changed now as far as more things being online and it's made a struggle for those of us who do live here to stay connected to all of these Zoom meetings, all of um, virtual conferences, things like that. Uh, I have great internet at my house, but I live two miles from Sydney. My parents, where I'm at right now <laughs> with the terrible cell phone service, uh, live 12 miles outside of Sydney. And they've been telling them for the past five years that, oh, fiber is coming, fiber is coming. But it's still not here. Uh, and I know people who live in my husband's neighborhood, they don't have internet at all, um, much less cell phone service, you know. Uh, and it's a real struggle. And I think if we could provide that for our rural communities, it would have more incentive for people to live here and to do business here. And because there's so many things that can be done virtually now. I mean, we've obviously have figured that out. And I hope it's on the docket sooner rather than later to get us all provided with some decent internet or cell phone service. I mean, we have to have a cell phone booster at our shop mm-hmm. just to be able to receive phone calls. Yep. So 
and I mean, we're installing one in our calving barn now and we're getting to the point where we all are carrying a, some sort of booster with us in the tractor so that we can be reached in the middle of nowhere type thing. Yeah. Benefit if we could get better coverage. Yeah. I guess who who's the, the fiber optic provider out your way? Uh, Mid Rivers is our primary. Yeah, that's yeah. They they told Mid Rivers told my folks that uh, their the engineer told them it wasn't feasible to to get uh, uh, fiber optic to their new house, um, even though not even a quarter mile down the road, everyone else has it. <laughs> you know, people who live right uh, outside of Sydney don't have it, and it's frustrating. But if you're on the board, I heard you can get some pretty good service. Um, oh, gosh, dang, I'm going to get criticized for that one. <laughs> that there, you need to get on the Mid-Rivers board, Caitlin. That'll be your next move. Hey, I have a neighbor on that board. <laughs> hey, um, uh, you know, you mentioned just being active. Did you go on Young Cattlemen's Conference? Have you been on that yet? I just can't remember. I did. I went, so I went not... Two years ago, three years ago, two probably years three ago. years ago because three, it's, yeah, three. It's crazy how time, fast time flies. <laughs> and what to, you know? Why? How was uh, again? This is the Young Cattlemen's Conference. It's a ten day trip that uh, uh, people learn all aspects of the beef industry. I, I, I well, actually, I'll let you describe it. Uh, what were you anticipating with this when you heard Young Cattlemen's Conference, and what did it turn out to be uh, once you participated in it? Oh my gosh, it's a whirlwind of 10 days of everything beef. Um, we started in Denver, learned obviously about CBA there. Uh, we toured feedlots, we toured packing plants, we toured McDonald's headquarters, uh, we toured grocery stores, and then we finished off, well, we went to McDonald's, obviously in Chicago, and then we went to D.C. and learned policy. Uh, we learned what and does for us in DC and just the inner workings of what really goes on on the hill as far as making sure that they're building these relationships with representatives from across the country and making sure their voices are heard on different bills and in different committees and it was a ride it was probably the best experience I've had as far as a leadership opportunity and I would do it over 10 times. Um, I've made really great friends from all over the country through that program. And not only are they friends, they're awesome resources. So many top beef leaders go to a program like that. Um, we had the Mississippi State Beef Exec on our trip. And she's an amazing lady and doing amazing things. And she's an awesome resource to have anytime we have questions. I mean, we had a rancher from Hawaii, and it was so awesome to hear his experiences. I mean, we've some of the most amazing people I've ever met were on that trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went back in 2015 or 16, (laughs) been a few years ago now, too, and just, uh, uh, it was a great opportunity, and technically, I was the media guy on there, but I own more cows than some of the people on the trip. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, just it was a great opportunity uh, to 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 go on that, and learn about all aspects of the industry. But it truly was the, the greatest part was meeting other people in the industry, hearing their challenges, the opportunities that they you know have uh, 
been presented in in, in the cattle business as well. And, and I know we're, we've been talking, recording here for over 45 minutes, Caitlin, hard to believe that. But, you know, we, we've been hearing quite a lot of uh, uh, talk and uh, and the news coverage out of Washington, D.C., and how the Biden administration and the Democratic-controlled House and Senate, they're really putting a focus on climate, uh, on, on carbon capture, sequestration, all these uh, other aspects. And, you know, I, I'm jumping back to ag social media, whether it be Facebook or Twitter, there is a lot of talk around this. Uh, there's a lot of fear around this, and I think fear is understandable. That, um, but, and I'm not saying what's going on in D.C. is right or wrong. But I, but from your perspective on it, how does the agriculture community need to participate with this current administration when it comes to climate? Uh, do they need to uh, be front and, and, and center and, and share an agriculture story? Do they need to fight this? What 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 is your opinion as a young producer? Well, for so many years, we've seen agriculture be the scapegoat when it comes to climate. Uh, we, we're the bad guys. We look like we're the bad guys because we're easy to pick on. We are so few in numbers, we can't really stand up for ourselves as vocally as, you know, the transportation industry or what have you. And to be honest, to pick on us, not many people actually have to change much about their lives. And I think we need to be more vocal. You and I both know how well of a job a cattle does at sequestering carbon. I mean, when a cow is out on grass, they're doing amazing things for the environment. And it is so hard to get that point across. And I think that's where we failed is that we haven't been working at getting those points across. I mean, there's so much land in Montana that cannot be farmed. And the best use of it is to raise beef. And look at the Midwest and when they are in full crop production, how much um, CO2 the corn is taking in, you know, things like that. We need to be speaking about that and talking about the great things we do for the environment. Because look at what happened during COVID. Greenhouse gases actually went down. And do you know what stopped? It wasn't egg. It was everything else. You know, Caitlin, uh, and I know you guys don't get to see my smug face on TV every day because you get the uh, North Dakota channels over that way. But uh, <laughs> uh, I got a poke fun of myself a little bit here. <laughs> but um, uh, one of my stories today was um, a, a survey that was uh, conducted by ag economist Glenn Tonzer, Jason Lusk, and Ted Schroeder, uh, three very you know prominent names in agriculture economy, uh, ag- agriculture economics, especially in, in the cattle sector. And it was a consumer survey of more than 3,000 American consumers and what it showed is that beef is chosen about three times more often than plant-based alternatives. So beef is three times uh, preferred over these fake meat products, um, which which is good good to know. Um, yes. But we are seeing the plant-based presence in the market remain small, but it is growing. We can't deny that it's not growing. Every single... Um, uh, uh, restaurant chain has an impossible option, that fake meat option. But 
consumers know, they trust, they, they, they understand the, the nutrition aspects of it, you know, protein, iron, everything that comes with it. But why is it important right now, even though that's three times likely that a consumer is going to buy beef, why is it important to promote, to research, and to educate others about beef? And, you know, whether that's the beef checkoff program or, or just uh, uh, farm, farmers and ranchers going out and advocating on behalf of the industry, why can we not stop looking at all alternatives? all alternatives to be able to promote our product when we do have a competitor that is taking all of our hard work because they're imitating our product. Why is it important to tell beef's story? Consumer preferences are constantly changing, especially as new generations keep moving up into the buying sector. And I think that's why we have to keep telling our story and sharing the good news about agriculture. Um, because things are just constantly changing. I mean, it's what, what, five years ago, there was still plant-based proteins on the market, but they're not nearly as popular as they are today. And which I don't know if they're necessarily as popular today or just spoken about more. Um, but you kind of see how that has evolved. And so I would hate for things to change that drastically for beef in the next five years as well. So I think we need to be constantly telling our story and we can't rest on our laurels ever. Well, and I always make it clear that I'm not anti-alternative proteins. Um, you know, that, that would be so hypocritical of me to say because I have a lot of friends that grow pulse crops. And exactly, that's yes. what's keeping the pulse crop market, um, um, you know, out of the red. I mean, it isn't anywhere where it was a few years back, but... You know, I, I, I just think that we if we're scared of the competition itself, you know, we, we have to step up. And again, I, I'm not going to tell anyone they can't or can't eat a product, but I just disagree when people are, are, are making all these claims about, you know, all these different products. But at the end of the day, we have to stick to our product and promote our product the best that it can be. Um and so I, I, I just found that study interesting. I just thought it'd be a great, you know, topic to bring up because it all comes together uh, and everything we talked about today, you know, having that sustainable operation to go on to the next generation, um, you know, bringing something new to the operation, like you mentioned, precision planting. Um, and I'm, I'm on my soapbox right now. And, and I know I know you got a water tank that's probably close to being hopefully unheated. Your dad needs to buy, maybe you need to get some uh, heaters in those tanks, Caitlin. <laughs> Is that all it takes? <laughs> Put a little bonfire by him. Uh, but uh, again, I, I, I'm on a rambling fit right here right now. Uh, I've been up too long here today talking all day. But, uh, Caitlin, is there anything that maybe uh, popped into your mind or maybe you wrote down during the, the course of our, our chat here today that you just would like to share, get off your chest, or just anything that you would just like to, to share with folks here today? No, I just, I think I, I'm on this soapbox all the time. i just encouraging young producers to get involved, to get active, um, to make their voices heard, whether that's on social media, whether it's through an organization, whether it's just volunteering their time, um, making a difference with youth programs such as 4-H, FFA. I mean, there are so many different ways that we can improve our industry. And I feel like so often right now we are pitted against each other 
between different industries. And I think we need to disband together. And one way to do that is for the younger people to get involved and to be active and to just help promote this way of life that we all love so very much. Um, we can't continue it if, I mean, we can't continue to do this work if um, we don't have the markets to support us and we don't have the resources available to us and whatnot. And none of that is going to be there if we don't make our voices heard and be proactive members of the egg community. Mm-hmm. Well, Caitlin Dennison Larson, I, I really appreciate you taking That's your time a mouthful, here today. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's such a Scandinavian name, too. <laughs> Maybe not your first name. Is Dennison no, Scandinavian? It is Danish. Well, yeah, that's that's up there. Yeah. 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 Danish and then Larson's Norwegian, yeah. so. Well, I mean, you're not as good as Nordland being Swedish, but uh nope. what, what can Sorry. you do? <laughs> well, we we only ruled over you for a few hundred years over in that area, but uh, no. <laughs> I, 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 there was some old men up in the Malta country. Um, they were all Swedish and they all were, you know, pretty good farmers or ranchers. And they all wore these hats and said, it's, it's hard to be humble when you're Swedish. And that's, <laughs> I get it. But, uh, Hey, I'll, I'll let you go. T- tell your folks and, and Russell and your sister. Hi. And, uh, Hey, do you guys have a website or a Facebook page where folks can uh, check out your operation? We do. So you can find us on Facebook at Denison Ranch and Feedlon. It's D-Y-N-E-S-O-N. Uh, oh, I lost you. I lost you right oh, after you said oh. that again. Welcome back. Darn dang nabbit. Uh, yeah, Denison Ranch and Feedlot on Facebook. Not as active as I have been just because it's so cold to take a cell phone out and take pictures, but... Pretty soon calving season should be kicking off and there'll be lots of pictures on there and videos and I really try to share our story quite a bit on there. So Great. Well, hey, and also folks, uh, go and Google Sydney, Montana on Google and, and, <laughs> and get a get a get a look at that. Pretty I mean, he's a pretty hefty looking zebra. I gotta say, he's on some he's on some full feet out there over at at uh, at Brookman Rodeo. They should they should turn that that don that donkey or uh, zebra out, excuse me, and uh, maybe as a bucking bucking uh, zebra or something like that. That that should be at the Sydney Fair next next year. Well, that would definitely draw on a crowd. Maybe we could get Russell Nimitz to uh, bareback ride, uh, do a special exhibition ride. Um, get, get my broadcast buddy Nimitz on that but hey I don't want to hold you up anymore I know you got stuff to do but I appreciate your conversation I appreciate you uh, sharing your story as a, as, a, as, a, as a farmer and rancher and as a woman in agriculture that uh, is uh, being a, a leader in the industry so I appreciate everything you do for us and uh, I'll let you have a great day yeah it was always great with you all right friends that'll do it for today's agriculture conversation on the Lancast Ag podcast I'm Lane Nordland. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.